0: Welcome to the My Beyond Life podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip, enable, and empower today's Christian woman to live a life beyond the lies, the limits, and the labels that Satan so often places on us or all around us. In today's lesson, we will continue our series on Real Talk about Raw Emotions. Okay. We're going to dive in today, it seems like forever since we have been together, so I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be back together again. Now, women make great judges. In fact, about 49.7 of all judges in the United States are female. Whether or not we are official and wear a black robe, every single one of us in here are judges. In fact, I don't know if you're like me, you can pretty much judge a person in three seconds flat. I don't need a robe for that. You need a robe for that? I don't need a robe for that. No matter what it says on our nameplate, whether we have a robe or whether we have a gavel, We are judging people every day. We judge them a lot of times by our own unrealistic expectations. Have you ever judged a person not by what they did, but by what they didn't do? How about your poor husband? You ever had a script for him in your mind? And, 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 and sometimes we set him up so that he could really give us a great compliment or we set him up so that he could really help us do something and then he doesn't. And you get miffed because he didn't say something or he didn't do something and bless their little hearts, they never have a clue. We do not give them the script. They don't have it. But yet, we have everything but the robe and the gavel, and we're judging them by what they didn't do, or what they didn't say, or how they didn't help, in about three seconds flat. Remember, we cannot, we talked about this last time, we cannot judge one puzzle piece on its own. And we know that. If I was to sit up here and hold one piece out of a thousand-piece puzzle, you wouldn't dare try to figure out that whole puzzle by looking at that one piece. But how many times in life are we not, as that verse says right there in John 7, 24, we're not judging righteous judgment. We're judging according to appearance. And as you know, appearances can be what? Deceiving, we have one tiny little piece of a very intricate puzzle, and we are judging the whole puzzle by one piece, and we simply can't do that because if you take that piece out, it has no context, it has nothing surrounding it, so we can't see the whole picture. This is a verse that we can pray, God, help me to have righteous judgment. Do you know what a word for that is? Discernment. So that when something happens, you don't fly off the handle in three seconds and have someone already, you're the judge, jury, and executioner. And you have already sized that person up. You have assigned them a motive. You have assigned them this horrible, terrible, intricate plan against you And all they did was they failed to say good morning on aisle three in Walmart. And we've got them hating us. We've got them having a grudge against us. We're sitting there wondering what we did wrong and what's wrong with her and why is she a snobby little jerk. When all it was was she was in a rush and in a hurry and she had to figure something out she was running five minutes late. So we didn't see the whole picture. So I'm not going to give an altar call because every one of us would be up here right now because we are all very guilty of trying to be our own judge, Judy. Now, what is the definition of judge? To distinguish. That is to decide by implication, to try, to condemn, to decree, to determine, to esteem, or to call into question. We have every one of those down except for the distinguished part. We are real good at deciding by implication, and we come up with the implication ourselves. We decide what the implication is. We're real good at trying people, condemning people, decreeing, determining things, esteeming them or not, and calling a lot of things into question, but we forget that very important first word, to distinguish. And once again, there's a word for that, discernment. When we go through a hurtful season discernment is the first one to jump ship it's the first one to bail time after time after time because all we see is our hurt all we see is our pain all we see is this gaping wound that we are now dealing with that is unfair, unprovoked, and unwanted. So therefore, the puzzle piece is then taken up, and it's like right here, and that's all we see. But you know and I know we cannot judge a book by its cover. We cannot judge a puzzle by one piece. We cannot judge our life by one happening. We can't judge a relationship by one disappointment, by one hurt. We can't judge what God is doing on one event. But now we're real good at it, aren't we? In fact, we're wondering why we're not getting paid a salary for doing it, because we're doing it so faithfully. We know that in baking, if I were to take raw eggs and set them in front of the birthday boy or the birthday girl, and sing happy birthday, and try to put a candle in the raw eggs that wouldn't stand up, we know that that would be foolish. We know that eggs standing alone do not make a birthday cake. If we know that in baking, why don't we know that in living? Why do we keep looking at the raw egg of that hurt and being like, This cake is horrible. God, you're a terrible baker. I can't believe God gave me this cake. That's not a cake. That's one event. Those eggs must be mixed in with other what? Ingredients. You follow a recipe. The recipe was determined by someone who was a master. They know what they're doing. They've written it all down. There's directions to follow, and those eggs do not stand alone. If they stand alone, that's not a cake. But so many times in life, we look at a raw egg situation, and we judge it. And we say, God's messed up. God's not going to do anything. This is all I have, a bunch of raw eggs. And God is saying, if you will give me those raw eggs, I'm gonna make something beautiful. It's just one ingredient of a list. I've got a lot of steps still to go in order to make those raw eggs wonderful. You can't judge the raw eggs right now. Anybody ever judged the raw eggs too soon? Anybody ever tried to just look at the raw eggs all by their lonesome and assign A failure to God? Assign something mean to God? Assign something that's not something that he did wrong, but we just can't stop staring at the eggs? Or we just sat down and took a big old bite of flour. That sounds appetizing, doesn't it? I have to tell you something one time my husband did. I have to tell on him. We tell on each other all the time. He's over there without me, and so he uses me in a lot of things, so I'm getting back at him. Okay, so he's, my husband, if he gets one tiny little sniffle, he will take every pill in the house. <laughs> he it's, it's just every pill in the house. The other day he was giving Anna her medicine and I had gotten two different types of mucinex, one with Tylenol in it for when she had a fever and the other mucinex without Tylenol for when she didn't. So I made the mistake of asking him to give her her mucinex at bedtime and he gave her the one with Tylenol and she's like, but I don't have a fever. Mom says I'm not, he goes, just take it. Just take it. It'll stop you from getting one. <laughs> so he, he's just like my daddy. If one is good, two is better. If one, if the doctor gives you one pill, I'll take two. Okay? I'll take it doubly as long, doubly as much because it's going to make me feel better somehow or it's going to make me not sick. Well, he was getting sick and there was something going around on social media at the time. I don't know what it was about cinnamon. And You should take some cinnamon and it's supposed to make you better. All right, well... What does my husband do but take an entire spoonful of cinnamon? Now, anybody in their right mind would say sprinkle it on some oatmeal or, you know, stir it into some hot chocolate or something. No, an entire spoonful of cinnamon. Well, I could tell he wasn't swallowing it. It was like holding it. Well, so Anna, Sarah, and I are sitting there, tears rolling. We're not saying anything. We're just watching because I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. Well, then he gets tickled because we're getting tickled. And he coughs. And this, I can still see it. This cloud of cinnamon. It was a puff. And it just went all (laughs) over It's coming drooling out of his mouth. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. You can't do cinnamon on its own, okay? Cinnamon is good for things, but it needs to be mixed in with some things in order for it to be palatable. Working together. We all know that verse. We could all quote it, couldn't we? All right? We know all things work together for good. All right, that working together. I want you to think of a beautiful cake as the end result. That's what working together is. It's the pouring, it's the mixing, it's the measuring, it's the stirring, and it's the baking. It's the high temperature, it's hot, it's uncomfortable. I'm sure if you're sitting in the bottom of a KitchenAid mixer bowl, it's not fun. It's not fun to have this thing beating you up and whipping you all into shape. That's not comfortable. But God knows the cinnamon on its own is not going to be good. The egg on its own is not going to be good. It's an all thing. It's an all thing. That list of ingredients on your recipe is your all things. It's that pain in your back door that you look back and there it is. It's that thing in your past. It's that thing in your presence. It's this, it's this, it's this. All mixed together. And that's what it means. It makes something beautiful and it makes. Something sweet, but it has to go through the process, and it has to go through all of the steps. So we're looking at God's mixers here, okay? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That cake right there is God's expected end. You see, when God looks at your situation, He already sees it finished. He looks at your battle, and he already sees it won. He looks at your situation and sees it already redeemed. Now, do we see it redeemed? No, that's what we see. A bunch of eggs and flour. Nothing redemptive in that. But God sees the finished product. So that expected end is what we have to trust in. Okay, God, right now, all I see is horrible. All I see is hurtful, all I see is lonely, all I see is grief, all I see is betrayal, all I see is disappointment, all I see is hurt, but all I see is not all that's there. I don't have God's ability to see the end from the beginning. I don't think we could handle it if we could. I know we couldn't, but God sees the end from the beginning, and God knows what's best and he knows what's the next ingredient and what it needs to be mixed in and incorporated with the other things. That's God's mixer. I want you to think of Romans uh, 8.20 every time you mix up something. When you see those beaters going round and round and creating something amazing, who I don't care who says it, raw batter is good. I was making brownies the other day. Do not eat raw batter. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. But what I want you to realize is God is making something beautiful. It's not finished yet. That situation and that relationship that's breaking your heart, that adult child, that situation with an ex-husband, that situation at work, that situation in your past, that abuse, all of those things that you look back at and they're just so ugly. It's not finished yet. And we cannot judge it righteously by looking at one ingredient. We can't even judge it by looking at a bunch of ingredients in separate bowls. Beware of over-focusing on one thing. Looking at one thing for very long is going to make you steer where you stare. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Beware of the steering where you're staring. When you do, you fail to see things mixed up. You fail to see them incorporated. You fail to see what God can do with this bad thing. There was a fella in Scripture who took one ingredient and stared at it and stared at it and stared at it until he was ready to die. And that was a fella by the name of Elijah. He had a script. He thought when the fire comes down from heaven, there's going to be nationwide revival. Ahab and Jezebel are going to repent. Hallelujah. And that didn't happen. So he saw this amazing, great, wonderful, mighty thing. But then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he ran and actually asked God to kill him. I just There's no reason for me to live. I don't even want to live. What's the use in me living? That's what happens when you focus on one thing. He took everything else and put it over here and stared at one thing. That's where despair is born. That's where hopelessness is born, is when you stare at one hard thing, one hurtful thing. fellow by the name of Joshua Moses has just passed away. The children of Israel have been mourning for Moses for 30 days. They've not taken a step forward. They've not packed up. They've not gone anywhere. They have sat and cried for 30 days. Then Jesus shows up face to face with Joshua, and he says a few words. He says, Arise and go over. In other words, he says it's time to put a period at the end of this morning sentence. It is now time to get up and cover some new ground. So they do. Joshua gets up. He rallies the troops. They end their morning period. They walk to the shores of that Jordan River, and we know the story. God makes a way where there was no way. He opens up that river. He creates a path. They step into that path, walk across, get to the other side. Once they get to the other side, God then tells them, the pain is not over yet because you need to go all the men, children, all the way up till the old men were to be circumcised. Imagine the women talking around the campfires the next morning. Imagine that. He's driving me crazy. Could you imagine? Adult men going through a very painful procedure and they did it willingly. Why? To separate. And come out from among them and be clean and separate and obedient to God. See, God had told them to all be circumcised way back when. And they had failed to obey. So the sins of their parents had been passed down to their children. This is a big picture of a generational sin. And every single one of them, little to big, had to say, I will submit to this cutting away. I will submit to this separation. I will stop this sinful pattern here. Well, then that took eight days of healing probably. Then three to eight days. Men, eight days. Ten, twelve days. <laughs> probably still a few of them there right now. <laughs> so, so then after that, it was then time for the Passover. That was an eight-day feast of remembering, reflecting, and praising God for his faithfulness. Then it was time to go around Jordan or uh, Jericho. Then it was time to do an an amazing battle plan that was the craziest thing you'd ever heard. Nothing orthodox about this one. Nothing that they would have thought would would have been what God told them to do. But there's an order in Joshua's story that I want to look at that we can break down. The first thing is this. Take the appropriate time to mourn. That's your sitting time. They had had a significant loss. Moses was dead. Moses was the man. Moses was their leader. Moses was their go-to guy. Moses was their connection to God guy. He was the voice of God for them. And now he's completely gone. This was a significant loss. God gave them time to grieve. And we need to give ourselves time to grieve. We need to give ourselves a time to mourn. And I'm not talking just when someone dies. I'm talking when a hope dies, when a marriage dies when a relationship dies, when a dream dies, when a job dies, when your finances die, when your health is gone. All of these are deaths along the way. And if we don't appropriately mourn, we will inappropriately stuff. And it's going to come out later down the road. So take the time to mourn and to weep and to cry. I gave you those verses there, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and verse 11. I don't have time to read them right now, but they will lay out there's a time to do this and a time to do that. There's a season for this and a season for that. Don't get your seasons mixed up. If it's a sitting time, please don't volunteer for eight things at church. It's a time for you to sit and weep and cry and heal, and that's okay. That's okay. The next thing we see in his story, it's a getting up time. And Jesus himself was the one who told him it was time. Not his grief counselor, not his pastor, not his pastor's wife, not his friend, definitely not his mother. Jesus told Joshua it was time to get up. And that's how you're going to know when it's time for you to get up too. Jesus will come to you and he's like, okay, it's time to get up. It's time to go. Doesn't mean you're not going to cry anymore. Doesn't mean you don't love that person. Doesn't mean that hurt wasn't real. Because yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. But there's a time when God says, okay, it's time to get up. It's time to stop living in the grief. It's time to engage in life again. It's time to engage with people again. Then there was a stepping time. That was when they had to step in faith. There's this flooded Jordan River, and do you know he actually asked the priest to step down in it? I'm not going to step into a flooded river. Those things are dangerous. I mean, that could sweep a car down, much less one little person stepping their little toes in. He asked them to step in that water before he parted it. He asked a big step of faith for that leadership, and they did it we know the story, God made a way. So God is going to give you time to sit. He's going to tell you when it's time to stand. And he's going to tell you when it's time to get going. And there may be an obstacle in your way that absolutely is impossible. And he's going to tell you, come on, come on, come on. Keep stepping, keep stepping. Let's go. I'll make a way. Stepping time. Then a removing time. That was that circumcision time. This was when they had to undergo a voluntary procedure. This was a sacrifice. This was a painful removal from something that shouldn't be there. And by the way, it was there naturally. There's something, girls, in your nature that's there naturally that doesn't need to be there. And if you're going to walk on any further in obedience in your relationship to Jesus... He's going to tell you, that needs to stop. That needs to be removed. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to give you time to heal. What's next? The healing time. He gave them the healing time that they needed from that. Then there was a reflecting and a thanking time. This is that Passover feast. Girls, there's times when you just need to pull out that journal, and you just need to start writing down what God's done for you. And you need to have your own little Passover. And you need to reflect and you need to praise and you need to keep rehearsing it and putting it in front of your eyes. And you need to keep rehearsing it and you need to keep putting it in front of your eyes so that you'll remember, God did this for me. God will continue to do things for me. I can trust him. Those are the orders of Joshua's time. And then the last one is the obeying time. That was when they had to walk and walk and walk and walk, and not a thing was happening. Not one crack in those walls. They had to keep walking in circles. You ever had God tell you to walk in circles? You ever had him tell you to keep doing something and you're not getting anywhere fast? You ever had him saying, Don't worry, I'll take care of it, but it don't look like he's taking care of anything? It's your Jericho. But did he take care of them? Did he do it in his own way and in his own time? Did he get all the glory? That's exactly what he's wanting to do for you too. So let's, re, let's rephrase all this. There's a time to grieve. There's a time to get up. There's a time to go over. There's a time to give up some things. There's a time to give thanks. There's a time to get going. And there's a time to gain ground. They conquered Jericho. And Jericho was now theirs, but none of it would have happened had they not done the other steps. You know what we want to do? We want to go from grieving to gaining ground. But there's a bunch of other steps there. (laughs) There's a lot of other ingredients, and that's why our cakes are baking flat and coming out burnt, and they're terrible, because they don't have all the ingredients yet. So these are the things that we can do. These are the things that God is wanting us to do. I don't know which step you're on. You know which step you're on. Some of you are still sitting in grief. Some of you have just stood up on wobbly legs. Some of you are getting prepared to conquer some things. You're getting ready to take a step of faith. You're getting ready to change a job. You're getting ready to do something different. You're getting ready to make a move. You're getting ready to to step out in faith. Some of you, God is calling you to stop some things. Something you maybe have done all of your life, a pattern, a thought pattern, some anxiety. I don't know what it might be. Some control. I think maybe on the shores of my Jordan, God wants me to have a controlectomy. Yep, that's me. What we need to do, God, what is it you're wanting me to stop? It's been in my family. It's been passed down. It's in my personality. It's in my genes. What is it that you're wanting to remove away from me? Some of you, God's calling you to just spend some time praising him, reflect and reflecting, thinking on it. Some of you, it's time to get going. God's giving you some marching orders. He's like, all right, let's go. Come on, let's go. And all of us, he's calling to gain some ground.